Hello and welcome to The Scoop, a provincial newscast and podcast with stories from LJI journalists around British Columbia. Each week, reporters from Revelstoke, Cortez Island, Kootenai, Terrace, Prince George and Smithers will share the news affecting their place in BC. I'm your host and producer, Pamela Hassan from CSEK News in Smithers. The Scoop was made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Local Journalism Initiative Program, or LJI. Follow The Scoop on CICK Smithers Community Radio, 93.9 FM, every Thursday and Saturday at noon, online at smithersradio.com, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dan Messick and Smithers at CICK News. Today on The Scoop, Dog River Chief emphasizes partnerships at the BC Natural Resources Forum in Prince George. After making the trip from Treaty 8 territory to Northeast BC, Dog River Chief Trevor McAdoohey gave a keynote address at the BC Natural Resource Forum in Prince George on January 18th. He spoke of the past experiences of being left out of resource development planning on his territory and then transitioning that prior reality into present-day working relationships. Ian Gregg at CFUR in Prince George will bring us that story. Nelson residents set peak power record during this month's cold snap. During the extreme cold spell that hit West Kootenays on January 13th, Nelson Hydro eclipsed their peak power usage by 3 megawatts. We'll hear from Scott Onyachuk at CJLY in Kootenay. Also on the program today, artists have been selected to carve a new Heisla Bridge totem pole in Kitimat. The District of Kitimat, along with support from Heisla Council, have chosen the artists who will carve a new totem pole that will be placed at the southeast end of the new Heisla Bridge. First-year instructor at the Frida Denzing School of Northwest Coast Art and a fifth-generation Heisla artist Nathan Wilson was selected officially on January 4th. That's coming up from Sabrina Spencer in Terrace at CFNR. And the childcare crisis has worsened in Smithers and Council is preparing for a rough road ahead. Over the past year, Smithers Council has been working with partners and consultants to draw up the Smithers Child Care Plan in hopes of cultivating the right conditions for more childcare spaces in the community. Last year, Smithers Council entered into negotiations with the YMCA of BC to possibly develop a new daycare in town. However, if that comes to fruition, it is at least a year and a half away, leaving many parents in the lurch. I'll bring you that story from CICK News and Smithers coming up. Allison Watson is a community planner with Plan 54 Consulting who has been doing the bulk of the research trying to find a viable way forward for Smithers Town Council in addressing the childcare crisis. Although she's helped develop the plan, there is still a lot of work to be done to create more daycare spaces in Smithers, which could take years. Stay with us. Allison Watson, Project Consultant. With? Uh, Plan 54 Consulting, based out of Smithers. Uh, Allison, maybe give me a quick overview. You've, you've spent some time uh, doing outreach and a survey around childcare and the plan here in Smithers. Um, what did you present this evening? What were some of the key points of the path to victory, so to speak, of, of being able to provide or find more spaces for childcare in Smithers? Yeah, so over the last year, we've been working to implement the Smithers Child Care Plan, which included 13 recommendations for ways that the town of Smithers can support child care space creation. So over the last year, um, we've been working um, with town staff 
as well as the community to really dig into these um, the hard and soft ways we can do this as a community. Um, a lot of the childcare issues have been around a long time and um, this is about being proactive and looking at what we can do at the local level to better support childcare space creation. Um, we had a community review of the different strategies that are in place as well as um, an incentive policy that's being considered by council right now. Um, from the community, uh, we had 120 people provide feedback and overwhelmingly we heard that childcare remains a huge issue in our community. Um, parents aren't being able to return to work, um, some are having to leave the community, uh, it's stressful for families. Um, so this has been a common thread ever since the creation of the child care plan a number of years ago. Um, we heard overwhelming support for um, whatever we can do locally to do in order to better support child care spaces. Um, we heard about the need for fairness and transparency in local processes just to make sure everyone's aware and has the opportunity to get involved. Um, definitely throughout the process we realized that one new center isn't going to meet Smithers childcare needs so we really want to encourage anyone who's interested in learning more about the provincial space creation funding to get in touch and uh, yeah start continuing these conversations um, there's local groups that have land there's other potential operators that have ideas and a big part of this is about connecting people and ideas to make things happen. Um, you had a community engagement uh, opportunity a few weeks back um, at the old church there um, and I, I popped in really quick and it, and it looked like um, there was quite a number of ideas. What else are you hearing from people in the community or what did you hear from people in the community? Obviously this is an acute situation, um, but it, the time is now, and it seems like there's hundreds of families that are without childcare, and uh, in one situation or another, they're either paying re really expensive private childcare or they're cutting themselves out of the workforce. So what did you hear some of the concerns and possibilities from uh, some of the folks in the community? Yeah, we, we definitely heard about these challenges that families are experiencing. Um, we heard a lot um, from uh, parents, ECEs, childcare providers on kind of this awkward place where childcare is sitting right now um, because it is under provincial jurisdiction, but there's private operators that don't get the same um, support as, say, a nonprofit operators. And in small northern communities like Smithers, a lot of the private operators are your bread and butter operators. So this is a current gap. Um, Childcare also recently moved into um, the Ministry of Education. But yet there's private businesses operating childcare. So it's still a bit of an awkward fit. I would say the province has done an amazing job in making strides in trying to improve the situation. I think there needs to be um, some reflective process around that in terms of evaluating what's worked and what isn't working. So that advocacy piece um, we heard loud and clear around there's some creative ideas still floating around of what's being done in other provinces in terms of um, yeah how we can continue turning the dial but um, realizing we're doing all we can locally. but. 
a lot of the shifting lies within the provincial government. That was Allison Watson from Plan 54 Consulting in Smithers. Coming up next, we'll check in in Terrace with Sabrina Spencer at CFNR. In Davalouan, I'm Sabrina Spencer with The Journey Continues, highlighting local stories that matter to you. My name is Nathan Wilson. I'm a first-year instructor at the Frida Deason School of Northwest Coast Art. And I'm also at least a fifth-generation high artist. And you're living here in Terrace? Yes, I currently reside in Terrace. So you were selected from the District of Kitimat with support from the Heisel Nation Council for the totem pole that will be placed by the new Heisel Bridge in Kitimat. Yes, yep, that's correct. How did the selection process um, go about for this? Was this something that you signed up for or they just chose? Well, yeah, there, so there was a call out for interested Heisel artists for the pole and it's always been you know my dream to to do a you know a significant project such as this so i proposed my idea i gave them you know examples of some previous work and you know luckily i was i was selected to be the be the carver for it and you're ancestrally from about the heisla nation yeah, uh, my mom is from Paisla, and you know a lot of my my uncles were also skilled carvers and and jewelers as well, designers, painters. And I think it was pretty felt really natural to be um, you know doing this project. You know, I you know my to go back quite a ways. You know, my my great great grandfather he carved the the Gupskulak pole that was you know part of the Kitlope in the Huxtua territory and you know a lot of my uncles you know Derek, Barry and Hank they carved the they carved the um the replica Gupskulak pole that went to Sweden and then another one that also went into the um into the Kitlop Valley so continuing on a very long long legacy of uh carvers. So what does this mean to you for, to be able to represent, you know, the Heisla Nation and have something, you know, so prominently displayed within the community? I don't know if I can really put it into words. You know, it's a pretty, it's a really big honor to do community work. I think it's the highest form of artwork that, you know, an artist can do, you know, to give back to the community. But, it, you know, with that, it's, um, you know, I may be the carver for it, but it's, it's for everyone. You know, once I'm done, you know, it, it's no longer in my hands. It belongs to the community, you know, the youth, the elders, the children, you know, it belongs to belongs to everyone. I'm the one that's just putting images on the pole, I think. But with that, it's a, it's a huge responsibility. You know, I'm giving identity back to to my nation, you know, representing the people, but I'm also, you know, representing, you know, my family, you know, the, the Wilson family. So it's, it's a pretty big, pretty big responsibility. And, you know, I uh, take that stuff pretty, pretty seriously. Were you given a timeline as for how long before the completion of the totem pole? Yeah, they're hoping for June, July for a, a completion date. There's been a few delays that might affect timelines. Hopefully it won't be too long. It will be documented throughout the whole process. And Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the opportunity to talk with us today. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to, to seeing the totem pole in its completion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll chat with you real soon.
This story is brought to you in partnership with the Local Journalism Initiative of Canada. You can see the full story at FrequencyNews.ca. That was Sabrina Spencer in Terrace at CFNR. Coming up next, we'll check in with Scott Onyachuk at CJLY in Kootenai. On the weekend of January 12th, the coldest days of the winter so far, Scott Spencer, the manager of Nelson Hydro, says they reached peak power records. It uh, certainly did. It uh, eclipsed the uh, previous uh, peak load that the city had seen by about three megawatts. So uh, quite significant uh, overall in terms of uh, the amount of power that we had to purchase uh, to make up for that. Nelson residents were encouraged to limit their power usage during peak hours, which are around dinner time. This meant limiting the use of large appliances like laundry machines or charging electric vehicles. Despite the recommendation to reduce power usage, Nelson was not in danger of losing the grid, which would result in certain areas being cut off from power for a period of time. This was a worry in Alberta during the same weekend. Spencer says Nelson Hydro can always provide power by purchasing it from outside sources. It is, however, very costly. So there was no question in BC about running out of power. It was just about the cost of that power. And because of the demand charges that, you know, want to treat those costs lower because, you know, we're getting those fees because now that we've now hit new peaks, BC Hydro and Fortis BC are looking at, okay, well, what new capacity do we need to bring online? You know, so those funds are now going to be dedicated to new capacity, which, you know, they've been forecasting for some time. BC Hydro is has got a call for power, um, uh, new power capacity coming out in the spring that uh, will you know bring that electricity online when we need it. When asked about people wanting to use electricity in the form of heat pumps as an alternative way of heating their homes, Spencer says this is not a problem in BC. As electrification increases over time, BC Hydro, Fortis BC, and uh, possibly Nelson Hydro will add capacity as long as it's economic to do so and uh, and will meet the needs. So the utilities in BC will make sure that everybody has the power that they require, but the cost is going to increase as we bring on that new capacity. One strategy Nelson Hydro is considering is the use of large batteries to store power during low usage times. That power can then be distributed during cold spells like we saw two weeks ago, to avoid hitting new record peaks. Reporting in Nelson, Scott Onischuk, KCR News. And finally on the program today, we'll hear from Ian Gregg at CFUR in Prince George. This is Ian Gregg reporting for CIFA Radio's Due North on 88.7 FM. This initiative is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada through the Local Journalism Initiatives Program. Find our news stories online at frequencynews.ca or cfur.ca. Chief Trevor McCaughey of the Doig River First Nation Treaty 8 member in the northeast of BC made the trip to Prince George Thursday, January 18th and gave a keynote address at the BC Natural Resources Forum. He spoke of past experiences of his nation being left out of resource development planning on their territory, then transitioning that prior reality into a present-day working relationship. The following has been edited for brevity. There's so many important things that I do have to say, especially for government and, you know, talking about our relationships and collaboration with our nation and, and you know, the different industries within our Treaty 8 territory. And there is a lot of chiefs and councils here that are from our, from our part of the world, and we have many different 
natural resources that get extracted or, you know, pulled from the country. And it is important for us to really talk about relationships and collaboration. I'd like to recognize Lele Tane for whose lands we are meeting on. Thank you for hosting us. I would like, also like to acknowledge our leaders from other nations, local, provincial, and federal governments. I would like to start by telling a little bit about Doig, my community that I'm very proud to represent today with my council, councillors Brittany, Starr, Justin, and I'm proud to work with them. We all strive to achieve consensus decision-making in our governance. We speak with one voice, and that's very important for, as a leader, you're only as good as your people, and if you don't share what you're, what's on your mind and get feedback, you'll never get, you know, come to some kind of consensus. It's pretty important for us. We have experienced oil and gas development since 1952. The first well site that was drilled in our territory was in Boundary Lake, just on, on the Alberta-BC border, east of Fort St. John. Everybody talks about Motney play. Did you know that Motney is named after Chief of Fort St. John Beaver Band? This is how connected we are to the proposed future developments. The Motney gas play is a world-class gas play that needs to be developed sustainably and the balance of economics environment needs to be for the benefit of our children's children. My early days as uh, first lands manager in Doig in 1996 was a second-hand elementary school portable donated by School District 60. So I just want you to know that I come from nothing. And, uh, and I was told, Here, here's a job, here's a pile of letters, find your, bu your own budget, we have no money. And then my revenue-sharing vision came to, came to light. I started thinking about it back then. In our lands, we used to be just notified that something was happening in our backyard. You know, we had no resources, nothing was coming in to, for us to even look at development or even have a say when you couldn't even afford fuel to get there and, you know, put up a fight on it. A lot has changed since then, so has our landscape. Today, we are now focusing on consent-based decision-making. Consent-based decision-making leads to certainty for natural resources, development in Doiger First Nation territory. We all need certainty for resource development in BC. There are key roles for industry, government, First Nation, and we all must work together in good faith for the benefit of all British Columbians. When development is proposed in our territory, we consider treaty rights as number one, and that's a foundation for us as our forefathers signed that and knew it was something that would sustain our culture and our way of life in the future. And that was the best thing that they could have done for our, for our people in, in Northeast BC for Treaty 8. We consider the treaty rights first, and then the environment, then economic development. After we've developed a plan with, with the proponents and, you know, lobbied the government long enough about putting in environmental measures and things like that so we all can live on that landscape after, 
is uh, something that we, we strive for. For Doig, relationships matter. Going back to treaty and signing of Treaty 8, Doig doesn't view it as a ceded and surrender treaty, but one of peace and friendship, access to the land base and sharing the resources together. We have worked with BC Energy Regulator to ensure pre-engagement is built into the process of consultation. This is a change for everyone, but industry has a key role in collaborating with Doig River through relationship agreements. These relationships are important. Agreements that create certainty for industry to achieve consent to a permit or a project through an effective process. Relationship agreements are not IBAs, but a playbook on how industry and Doigger First Nation will work together. It creates certainty to a process. Doigger relationship agreements ensure pre-engagement, sharing of information, maps, conversation, and our lands office, scheduled meetings, consultation, outcomes, consistent with the BCER. Our land use plan is almost complete, and we're working on that vigorously every day. Cumulative effect tools, we have built our own tool to assess cumulative effects. Community investment, business development, cross-cultural training, and treaty education. Nobody knows your story unless you put it out there and be truthful about it. We value and appreciate our agreements that make a big impact in our community through community investment to culture, language, health, and education and business development. That is the focus of the DOI Council. We do things from the grassroots for the benefit of everyone, not just a few. For a decade, we have been working to improve our administration and generating own source revenue from multiple streams because we do not want to be dependent on the federal government. This includes participating in the natural resource economy and generating our own wealth through commercial development on our urban reserve in Fort St. John. Through our work with local government and business community, we have built a shared understanding and have created a shift from the work against the nation to work with us for prosperity for all in the peace region. Because of this great work with local government, our investment will exceed over $100 million in the cities of Fort St. John and Dawson Creek. We have settled our treaty land entitlement claim and proceeds have and will continue to be invested within North, Northeast BC. We are doing the work today to ensure the benefit for seven generations of our people. Side note, Settlements get reinvested in local economy and the provincial coffers. So when, when a claim comes in, it's not just, oh, those Indians, they get, a, they get a few bucks again. It gets reinvested where we live. We invest in our communities and we invest in our region. Every dollar that I get, I spend it in my local region. DOIG also collaborates with other Treaty 8 nations and the province of British Columbia in developing a new fiscal framework that includes revenue sharing. That includes revenue sharing from natural resource sector. In Northeast BC, Treaty 8 territory, we are blessed by the Creator for giving us the natural resource tools for the sustainability for all our peoples. 
including Indigenous, non-Indigenous residents, a fair share needs to come back to our region to support First Nation local governments for healing the land and healing the people. Local governments understand when we don't have enough nurses or teachers. Our kids get taught in public schools and we need to invest in our people. And if the resources are coming from our country, then we need our fair share. To conclude, it takes a diverse, inclusive community, province and, and a nation to create a future where we are experiencing Gema. Gema is a finding a good place in life and in nature. Thank you to the organizers for inviting us to share a bit about DOIG and DOIG's view on sustainable resource development. Something that we do say a lot, and it's even on our Ujo Development's business cards, is Yidde Zawawa. Yidde Zawawa means for the future generations, and we're thinking seven generations ahead. And it's very important. I, I did hear some rumblings earlier about you know, carbon, reducing that. You can reduce it, but, you know, there's only so much infrastructure for electric cars. There's almost, you know, there's a lot of minerals that have to get extracted. Are they thinking about, you know, the fuel that has to get burned for mining and all that stuff? There's a lot of, there's a lot of thinking that has to go on, and I think it's the people that have to push it. How do we get there and how do we find a balance between nature and industry, environment? It's for the future generations, for our kids that are coming. What are we leaving to them? What is our legacy? Thank you. You've been listening to the keynote address at the BC Natural Resources Forum. From Chief Trevor McCodahay, representing Treaty 8 Signatory, the Doig River First Nation, on Thursday, January 18th in Prince George, B.C. This is Ian Gregg reporting for CIFA Radio's Due North on 88.7 FM. This initiative is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada through the Local Journalism Initiatives Program. Find our news stories online at frequencynews.ca or CFUR. And that's this week's episode of The Scoop, a podcast and broadcast featuring stories from remote BC by the journalists in the communities of Smithers, Cortez Island, Revelstoke, Kootenai, Prince George, and Terrace. This program was made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Local Journalism Initiative Program. Tune in next week for another episode and follow us online wherever you get your podcasts.